0: Hello and welcome to Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate Doctor Who rewatch podcast. I'm your host Dean and as always I'm joined by my friend and Doctor Who fanatic, Andrea.
1: I don't like Doctor Who.
0: Oh no, I've made a terrible mistake.
1: Sorry, are we not here for the Britney Spears podcast?
0: Well, I kind of understand if you don't like Doctor Who because we're talking about some real bad Doctor Who this week. We're talking about season one episode, The Long Game. Bad episode.
1: Okay, so as you know, every week, Dean and I start this podcast by giving our own sentence summary of the Doctor Who episode that we are exploring. So, Dean, would you like to go ahead and summarise the long game?
0: I would absolutely bloody love to. My sentence summary is as follows. Simon Pegg dresses up as Jack Frost and mucks around for 45 minutes.
1: It must have been great fun for him.
0: Yeah, I would have enjoyed doing that, even if it's a crap episode. And I was reading about online for my research, which will be coming up in trivia, that he was having so much fun and he's always been a fan of Doctor Who, and that he was really looking forward to it, which I'm glad about because it does look like he's having fun and I'm glad he's having fun.
1: What a nice day out for Simon Pegg. That's something we can all be grateful for, that Simon Pegg had a good day out, even if we don't like this episode. Although I love you, Russell, it's nothing personal, or against your work as a whole.
0: Anyway, what's your sentence summary?
1: Yes, thanks for prompting me. So, a lump of meat controls the media to store the progression of humanity, whilst the doctor begins to realise that letting Adam aboard the TARDIS was a mistake. And also, people open their brains a lot.
0: Well, that bloody lump of meat sounds like some guy on it, Rupert Murdoch. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we like to make like political points in our sentence summaries, don't we? So, I thought I'd throw one in there. Shall we move on to just some more general information, laying down some groundwork for the rest of this episode? Yep. So this episode was written by Russell T. Davis, the showrunner, the man himself, and it was directed by Brian Grant, who never directed another episode of Doctor Who has never directed an episode before. So clearly he did such a bad job that they didn't want him anymore. Whoa, Uh, brutal, brutal. It was broadcast on the 7th of May, 2005. Any guesses on what my question's going to be?
1: Well, my answer is, I don't know what I was doing. Please stop asking me. I was three years old.
0: Yes, every week I will ask Andrea what she was doing on that day. And the day before this episode came out, do you know what you were doing?
1: No, it's escaped my mind, I'm afraid.
0: Do do you know what um, Tony Blair was doing?
1: Well, he wasn't dying unless I've really missed something.
0: He was being re-elected as Prime Minister.
1: Oh, well done, Tony Blair.
0: Yeah, and it was his last time. Got another two years in him. He does.
1: It's very ironic considering he's actually killed off a few (laughs) episodes before the long game.
0: Very true. Very true. They were they were trying to predict the election result, but failed.
1: Very, very drastically failed. Yeah.
0: Just quickly move on to some um, ambiguously titled facts. They might be fun. Whoa. We don't want to assume that.
1: They are incredibly fun, and you will find out just how fun they are from me right now. So my first fun fact is that titles, working titles for this episode, included Adam and The Companion Who Couldn't. So what are your thoughts on those titles?
0: They're pretty good, but I like the long game, because like, what does it mean? It doesn't make any sense, but it does. Just tune in for a few more weeks and you'll find out why it makes sense, but right now It makes no sense, and that's pretty stupid.
1: That's a bit unfair, because as you said, it makes sense when we get to the finale.
0: In our shoes right now, it seems pretty stupid of a name, but we don't know all the facts. Wink, wink.
1: Nudge, nudge. Anyway, I personally think that the title, The Companion Who Couldn't, is quite an effective title, because Adam is the one who let the Doctor down, who got rejected, pushed out of the TARDIS.
0: So we talk about alternative titles most weeks, haven't we? Maybe every week, I'm not sure. Hmm. And every time I feel like they sound, they don't sound like a name a Doctor Who episode would have. They sound like the name of a fan fiction or or like something similar. It doesn't sound like an episode of Doctor Who, the companion that couldn't.
1: That is true. But is it because we're so used to the long game?
0: No, I just feel like in, in general every week, these weird titles that aren't something I can imagine like the long game is like vague and and just a few words and it kind of works as a title but the companion that couldn't is a bit like oh yeah there's a companion in this episode that's real pants
1: Yeah, it kind of labels it too clearly. I do get what you mean. I also think the title Adam is too close to the title Rose. And I think that would have been the point, because this episode was originally intended to be written from Adam's point of view, just as Rose was from Rose Tyler's point of view. But it would make this series almost too samey.
0: Anyway, got any more fun facts?
1: I do. I have quite a few. So... This is one that I feel like Doctor Who fans will know, but it's still very interesting.
0: Yeah, it's not like we've got any non-Doctor Who fans listening.
1: That would be weird, and if so, I'm sorry you're lost.
0: Anyway, what's the fact?
1: So, Russell T. Davis submitted the episode's concept to the Doctor Who production office in the 1980s, but it was rejected, and he was told to write more realistic television about, and I quote, a man and his mortgage. Well, how rude is that? Russell. No,
0: but it's kind of like the story you would tell, isn't it? It's like the story Stanley, creator of Spider-Man, tells. Or George Lucas talking about Star Wars. I feel like they all have just a success story like that, which always come off as a little smug to me. I'm not saying it's a bad fact, it's pretty fun.
1: I suppose that is true. It's his rejection to absolute legend story arc right there. Exactly.
0: They all have one, don't they? I'm sure they all do.
1: To be honest, I feel Russell T. Davis could make a story about a man and his mortgage excellent.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't even be... Well, no, then they're saying he should do that. They're saying that's good television and that's interesting, so...
1: Are, are they really? Are they really?
0: Wow. Do you have any more fun facts for me?
1: I do. You need to stop asking that because I've got so many, it's going to blow your brain. So, in earlier drafts of the script... Adam's father suffered from a disease that was incurable in his time, 2012, and he hoped to learn about a cure which had been discovered between 2012 and the year 200,000. I feel that would have given Adam a lot more justification. So, many of you will remember the scene in which Adam throws up after he's had the brain surgery thing, and he instead throws up an ice cube. Now, that wasn't just frozen vomit it was in fact kiwi and orange in a little ice cube so how fun is that
0: it sounds tasty that's a tasty fact
1: that's a tasty vomit so i'm gonna move on from the vomit now and tell you that nicholas briggs actually recorded voice work for the jagra but this was ultimately not used because of its close similarities to the nesting consciousness who we see obviously in Rose.
0: I don't think I would have noticed because I don't remember what the nesting consciousness sounds like.
1: Just growling.
0: Yeah, they all, they all sound the same.
1: They do, which is maybe an issue with series one and how they're more ineffective villains merge into one. I'm not saying the nesting consciousness was necessarily ineffective because I love the Autons. Oh, I am. Oh, oh. but the Autons are great. You've got to admit that. Um,
0: apart from Mickey Auton, and that's nothing against Mickey. But
1: the pizza!
0: We're getting sidetracked.
1: We are. My final fun fact, which you'll be relieved to hear, so it's almost over. This episode won 40.39% of the audience share on the night it was aired. What a success for Doctor Who coming back.
0: Yeah, to be fair, it was about 10 years ago. There was only bloody two TV channels at the time.
1: Wow, how, how hard it must have been for those in 2005 to only have two TV channels. We must take a moment to think of them and their suffering. Please take a moment with us, listeners.
0: Okay, next section. Is it time? I want to go. Let's go. Let's go! In this section, Andrea and I present each other with some trivia questions just to present it in a more interesting way. Um, Feel free to answer them at home. I have four questions for you today, Andrea.
1: Not five,
0: Four, yeah, what just four. a letdown. Wow, well, you're just going to have to deal with it. And they are all about the great actor who appears in this episode, Simon Pegg.
1: Wow, okay, I wish I'd brushed up on his Wikipedia page now.
0: They're, they're about Simon Pegg and Doctor Who, I should say. They're not just... Oh,
1: that's slightly better.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are you ready for question one?
1: No, but I am ready for question two.
0: Okay, question two. Simon Pegg previously has appeared in a Doctor Who audio play called Invaders from Mars, released in 2002, based in New York alongside the book The War of the Worlds. But which Doctor appeared in this story? Was it the 8th, the 7th, the 6th or the 5th?
1: Oh, that's just a guessing game that is. Oh dear. See, it's hard. My instinct nowadays is to go for the Eighth Doctor because I feel there's been a surge in stories about him to sort of fill that gap between Seven and the War Doctor. But was he so much a big deal back then? Hmm, I'm going to go for him anyway. Eighth Doctor.
0: You would be correct. Well done.
1: Yes. Good logic, Andrea. Well done.
0: So basically what it's about is, have you ever heard of the hysteria around the audio play of the War of the Worlds?
1: i i have not please inform me
0: so um radio presenter at the time orson wales did a radio play about the the plot of war of the worlds but he did it in the way of like a news broadcast so as if it was actually happening like the news people responding to it and supposedly there was a massive hysteria throughout the country of america because people believed it was actually happening and were getting really panicked
1: <laughs> imagine that happening for something like doctor who yeah. Everyone's suddenly not going shopping. Shops has collapsed when people watch Rose.
0: Yeah. So it's quite funny, but this audio play is basically like, but something did actually happen then. It wasn't hysteria. And that's what it's about with Simon Pegg and the Eighth Doctor. Okay, you ready for question one now?
1: I think I am. Just about. Go for it. Go for it.
0: What phrase did Simon Pegg allegedly use to describe Christopher Eccleston? Did he say he acted with a terrifying anger? Do you say he could hold the room with his performance? Do you say he's like an unpopular kid? <laughs> or did he call him an old misery guts?
1: See, I know this one. And it pains me because he's such a good doctor and I don't want to believe that he'd be miserable. And obviously we now know that he was quite unhappy at the time of recording Doctor Who. But I know that it was D, or whatever the last one was you read, old misery guts.
0: Yeah, although I couldn't find any reliable sources to actually confirm this, so I, that's why I added the word allegedly in there. Are you ready for question number three?
1: Yes, I am.
0: Okay. allegedly. This one isn't actually allegedly. Also <laughs> in 2002, Simon Pegg appeared in the movie 24-Hour Party People, but who also appeared in this movie? Was it A, Billy Piper? Was it B, Catherine Tate? Was it C, David Tennant, or was it D, Christopher Eccleston?
1: Ooh, that's hard. See, I recently read Christopher Eccleston's Wikipedia page for fun because I'm a Doctor Who nerd. (laughs) I thought
0: you were about to say, like, memoir or something.
1: (laughs) No, just his Wikipedia page, the less reliable version of a memoir. And I don't remember that film being mentioned, but it could just be my bad memory also don't think that Catherine Tate and David Tennant in their careers have done as many films or at least David Tennant hadn't at that time in his career so my gut's telling me to go with Billy Piper
0: your gut would be incorrect it was Christopher Eccleston
1: no gut why
0: yeah it's Christopher Eccleston but they never shared a scene in this movie so they never actually met then
1: my memory is so bad
0: You ready for the final question? My favourite question of this quiz. On the comedy show Big Train, what was the plot of a sketch that Simon Pegg starred in? Was it A, Simon Pegg and Catherine Tate's characters travelled to the past and met Guy Fawkes, who was a very over-the-top gay man?
1: (laughs) I want to see that, whether it was true or not.
0: Was it B, Simon Pegg's character is so dismayed by Billy Piper's failing pop career that he commits suicide. (laughs) Was it C, Simon Pegg's character hosts a Doctor Who fan club with a bunch of saddos showing up, the entire sketch just mocking nerds? Or was it D, Simon Pegg and Paul McGann try to put a group of children to bed but end up terrifying and scarring them with a bedtime story?
1: I'm trying to think... Which ones you could have come up with, and they all sound too <laughs> elaborate to be the creation of Dean.
0: I did go for very specific.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly specific. i quite it's a big insight into your brain. <laughs> and how it works. I think I'm just gonna go with the last one because I don't really have any clue, but it sounds funny and Simon Pegg-ish.
0: You were incorrect.
1: Oh no!
0: I've watched this sketch. It's about two and a half minutes. You can find it on YouTube, and it is very funny. And it is Simon Pegg's character who was so dismayed with Billy Piper's failing pop career that he committed suicide.
1: Oh my goodness! And and it this is was
0: hilarious. C-
1: this was created before or after he was in it? I
0: think it was before, but I couldn't actually find a date for it.
1: If it was before, just imagine how awkward if Billy Piper had been aware of that sketch and that first day of meeting and acting together on set.
0: It's very good because the whole thing is set in like a 1930s type place with them all in old-fashioned clothing, and it's very old-fashioned. Apart from there's a framed photo of Billy Piper on the wall. It's a very funny sketch, and it does end with Simon Pegg shooting himself.
1: Because of Billy Piper's failing music yeah. career?
0: He gets, he gets a letter wow. saying that Billy Piper is no longer in the top 20. It's, it did make me laugh a lot. Anyway, are you ready to move on?
1: i am thank you very much for your trivia
0: you're welcome and you're welcome to the audience as well because i know you guys loved it anyway we'll see you in the next section bye
1: whilst dean is pumping himself up for the following section i would like to introduce his said section and here is dean's plot summary of the long game are you ready Dean to take it away yeah
0: yeah I've accepted my fate of having to do this every week now and I'm so prepared even though I still refuse to pre-plan this okay shall I take it away I think you should so last time the Doctor and Rose met this geezer called Adam. He was from the year 2012 and he's English and he's the smartest guy in the world. He nearly started World War 3 Not the Doctor Who episode because I've started that before. It's easy to do, but he nearly started the actual war. Um, anyway, he gets to travel with them and they land in the year 20, very far future time, I've forgotten the year, on a satellite which should hold the fourth great and bountiful human empire but it is the fourth human empire but it ain't great and it ain't bountiful it's pretty pants but the doctor doesn't know why he's like it should be great here where are we by the way and they're on a journalism satellite which does all the journalism for all the uh for humans all the humans not all the earth and basically they're going around and they're like oh hey what's going on here they're like hey go we want to show you something and then doctors like okay they go in they're like wow i wish i could go to floor 500. is it 100 or 500?
1: it was 500.
0: okay good floor 500. they go i want to go to floor 500 and doctors are like why and they're like the walls are made of gold what's the point of going somewhere where the walls are made of gold it's not like you can sell them or anything anyway um so they're doing a they're like hey how does this journalism thing work hey look we'll show you and they sit in the room and one of their brain opens up and a laser comes and shoots their brain and they get all the information in the world and that's how they do journalism and they're like wow pretty cool but meanwhile someone goes hey i've got a promotion to floor 500 hey that's not fair you shouldn't go up there you i've i'm higher than you and i do better than you too bad i'm going to floor 500 so she gets in the lift and goes up and Doctor's like, well, you're actually like, you'll never see her again. And then Kafka, who's one of the ladies with the brain opens, goes, well, I will never see her again because no one ever comes back from floor 500, but it's perfectly safe and it's where exactly I want to go because I've been told the walls are made of gold, which isn't even that useful because I can't sell the gold. Meanwhile, the person that gets to go to floor 500 is up there like, hey, this isn't made of gold. It's all ice and dead people and not good stuff but Simon Pegg's there oh my what's Simon Pegg doing there she goes acclaimed actor Simon Pegg star of screen and stage what are you doing here and he goes I'm not Simon Pegg I'm actually (laughs) the villain of this (laughs) because I'm actually the villain of this um and you are lying you're actually a freedom fighter <laughs> he, goes, he goes, Yeah, I I am, but I'm gonna kill you. And he's like, No, the thing on the ceiling's gonna call kill you the Jagra first. And the Jagra fest goes, Nom, 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 nom. And it doesn't actually her. Uh, no, she gets plugged into a computer after she's dead. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Meanwhile, Adam who I haven't really touched on a lot yet, is like, wow, this is all too crazy for me. I'm going to go have a sit down. And Rose is like, okay. And meanwhile, the doctor's patched up his phone to the future. But to the past, I mean, not the future. Every phone can go to the future. It's called sending a text message. Um. Anyway, <laughs> some knowledge for you. He tries to access the computer, but he can't because he doesn't have the brain... Openy thing so he goes down and he gets some surgery and that's all hunky-dory and he phones his mum and he's like hey mum leave this on voicemail for me but please don't delete this message because it's gonna have so much cool information and it's gonna um, make me really smart and save the world and In a a past version of this script, it would have saved my dad as well. But we're not on this stage of the script at the moment. And then he gets blasted in the machine. And he's like... (laughs) Meanwhile, the Doctor and Rose are called up to floor 500. And they're like, let's go. And the Doctor gets up there and he's like, there's no gold walls. There's just ice walls. Unless there's gold behind those ice. But the gold walls don't make a lot of sense because you can't sell the gold or anything. And anyway, they meet the editor and he's all like, well... Actually, Profess, this big fella on the ceiling, controls all the media in the world, and I just work for him, and I'm actually really cool, and blah, 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 and I know you're from the TARDIS because your mate Adam is plugged into the machine, and we're getting all his information, and we have a TARDIS key, and we're going to steal your TARDIS. Ha, ha, ha. Ha <laughs> ha Doctor's like, oh no. But meanwhile, Kafka is secretly watching. She's like, I know what I must do. She goes down to a computer that the doctor had previously hacked and whacks up the heating upstairs in floor 500. But the Jaguar fest ain't like the hot. That's why it's so icy up there with no gold walls, which doesn't even make sense because you can't sell the gold on the walls um yeah so he's a bit like ah and he freezes over and explodes and then the doctor comes downstairs naughty boy had him, you very naughty you go home i'm not even going to close your head it will still open sometimes and then the episode ends
1: that was magnificent thank you for enriching our lives with that little plot summary there dean
0: it's all right it's all right um just to comment on the quality of the plot of this episode, that I've never struggled to try and string together a plot for this section as much as I have this week. It's really struggling to remember how mm. stuff happened and what happened, just because it's pretty pants.
1: I do feel it's a bit unclear, which is very rare for us, T. Davis, and I would say that as arguably the best writer of his generation, definitely the best screenwriter, that he is allowed to have a weaker episode or two, but. In my opinion, at least, this is one of them.
0: This is pretty damn crap. But should we go
1: and talk about that now? I think we should.
0: Welcome to the next section. I really think this is a standout section because it's where we discuss all our standout moments of the episode, for good or ill.
1: For good or ill?
0: Yeah, because some of them are really bad. And I wanted to say ill instead of bad because it made me sound more intelligent
1: than I actually am.
0: Anyway, just like we did with the other bad episode we've talked about so far, The End of the World, I think it would be nice to start with some good stuff. I've got to admit, this week my good stuff list is shorter, but you can go first.
1: Thank you very much. My first standout moment would be at the very beginning, when the Doctor and Rose enter this new world before Adam does he's still in the TARDIS and the doctor debriefs Rose on where they are so that she can then when Adam comes out act like the genius who knows all planets inside out and is the leader of the pack and I just love that moment because it's almost again as we've said many times with Rose it's almost like she's taking on the role of the doctor in a way and allowing someone else to be her mini companion
0: Yeah, especially what we've seen so far. That's how she really stands out. And it's kind of a cute moment. I did like the relationship between all three of them in this scenario. So before we started recording, Andrew and I both claimed that we've got a quote from this episode, which we both claim is the only good quote from this episode. So I propose we start reading them at the same time. And even if they're different, we just keep going and finish reading the quote.
1: Well, we're going to give our listeners a headache
0: yeah, but it might be the same thing. I need to try and find my quote now. Sorry. Ah, okay. I've got it here. Okay, are you ready to read it? So. Three, two, one, go. One the minute is, you're Adam, worried time about the empire. Like and the next is the central <laughs> heating. You can't just read the guidebook. Is that your one quote?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It was pretty brief.
0: Can you say it again? I didn't hear it.
1: Oh, okay. One minute you're worried about the empire, and the next it's the central heating.
0: That's a pretty good quote. Are you putting that into your good stuff about this episode Mm. category?
1: I would definitely. I just love that entire sequence or scene, to be honest, when they're hacking into the mainframe and the Doctor is so sarcastic towards Katha and is taking the mick out of what she says and she's telling them it's a typical student scenario almost where you've got some mischievous students and the one that stood there going we can't we can't get into trouble guys but can't quite leave them alone either and i just love that setup that's and you it stood out that's you me. andrea it is admittedly i'm not a very out there wild student to be honest although i did once get told off for throwing a crumb at my friend and the head teacher came and spoke to me and it was a very sad day and i cried a lot Oh But that's basically my only duel with authority.
0: Wow. I've got some teaching I need to give you. I don't know what that means. Is that a threat?
1: I, I don't know what that means.
0: Anyway, can I read my quote now? It's a lot earlier on in the episode.
1: And it's a lot longer than mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. The thing is, Adam, time travel is like visiting Paris. You can't just read the guidebook. You've got to throw yourself in, eat the food, use the wrong verbs, get charged double and end up kissing complete strangers. Or is that just me? stop asking questions go on and do it
1: i do like that it summarizes the doctor's go embrace life attitude that he has and obviously it's a direct reference to doctor who the movie where paul mcgann snogs whoever the lady is in the movie her name escapes me in paris
0: yeah exactly but it's good it's it's fun stuff i really enjoyed it so i made a note of it Uh, honestly I'm I'm struggling for another good point. This section oh, is wow. lasting a lot shorter than it did when we talked about the end of the world.
1: That is true. I do have, however, some more standout moments. Go on. Well, okay, maybe it's not a moment. <laughs> I've got ahead of myself a bit there. But I love the entire Floor 500 enigma. I know it doesn't live up to much, arguably, because... Simon Pegg, or the editor, as he's actually called. S-
0: Simon Pegg, acclaimed actor of screen stage, even though I don't think he does much stage work.
1: He's probably stood on a stage. I'll ask him. Maybe he's cleaned, like like polished it or something. That would be stage work of sorts. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. But the editor, his, that's his character's name, and the jaggerfest are quite underwhelming. I think at least. And so the enigma of floor 500 isn't as threatening as it should be. But I love anything that's typically who? Oh, people who grow up to floor 500. They never come back. Ooh, but no one's ever thought this is too weird. Ooh, we're so stupid. Ooh, and you probably die when you grow up there. Ooh, and I just love that enigma.
0: Can I tell you why you're wrong?
1: I feel like you're going to anyway.
0: But yeah, I know I'm interrupting the good section. I hope you don't mind. I do a little. Um, I just disagree with this point because it would be an interesting enigma, but we've already seen what's up there because the entire time is the editor walking around this room going, wow, well, someone shouldn't be there. I can feel it in my loin and we can kind of know, oh, so that's what's up on floor 500.
1: In his loin?
0: In my loin. That's something things people say. Is that something people
1: say? I think it's something you say and shouldn't have said. And now our podcast has lost all two listeners.
0: I'm just saying I can feel it in my loin, okay? That I should have said that.
1: But I would pick up on what you said. Not the loin bit, but about (laughs) the enigma being ruined by the fact that we already know what's up there. And I do think that's an issue. But I feel it would have more impact if we hadn't seen floor 500 at all. And therefore when we first see the editor and there's the reveal of the jagra Fest, it's actually quite chilling not literally just because it's cold but because
0: <laughs> you don't know what
1: to expect until the first person goes up to floor 500 and that is an issue with it because there's no real tension in this episode despite the fact that they're obviously trying to build it up especially when Suki goes in the lift and gradually goes up to floor 500 i think I think my issue with this episode really is that I feel like some of these concepts that Russell T Davies has come up with could really work and are really clever. And the idea of the media controlling humanity completely and being manipulated, it's all clever and true and political to an extent. And it could have been a really good episode, but I feel like the execution from the screenplay to what we have with the sets, the casting, Just the entire look and feel of the episode. It doesn't excite me, and there's no tension or suspense really when there should be.
0: So, what are your problems with the casting?
1: Well, you're gonna find this really controversial because I know how much you love him. And I'm not questioning Simon Pegg's ability to act, but I don't really like his character. I feel there's a weird I I know you could say it's not his issue, but I feel like they should have cast someone who isn't related to comedy because my issue with the editor is that he has a weird mixture of comedy and he's also sinister at the same time and it doesn't work for me. And I feel like his character is a bit confused and therefore loses its impact. Whereas if we had someone who plays quite dark characters, or someone who doesn't have such a funny face as well. I feel like Simon Pegg's got such a lovable, funny face. And I just feel that it's not the right role to have Simon Pegg playing. I think he would have been much better as almost an additional companion to the Doctor in this episode, someone in the role of Kathika or Suki. I'm not saying for this episode necessarily, but in this series at least. And so it's not his acting ability I just don't think it's a role that in my head suits Simon Pegg as well and I also don't really like the character so it therefore feels like a waste of the talent that is Simon Pegg
0: Yeah I kind of see what you mean but I just think it's 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 kind of the makeup and
1: mm, I don't like the Jack Frost look
0: and kind of the, the the stuff he's given to do, I think he just performs what he's given. I'm not saying it's Russell's fault either. I think what would have happened is they decide Simon Pegg's going to play this guy, and then they're like, "Oh, let's add some comedy because hmm. we all know that's what Simon Pegg's like." And then they write it into the script, but it doesn't work. Where you could have had Simon Pegg play a more serious character, and I've seen him do that in various other things. um He does good performance in the TV show The Boys. Um, and they've just given him comedy where it doesn't really work.
1: Yeah, that's my issue. It feels like they forced the character to be funny, and it would be so much more threatening if you don't see Floor 500 for, for a lot of the episode, and then you're suddenly faced with all these skeletons, this ice, and this really sinister, enigmatic, dark figure that's just been looming over humanity watching them it would be better
0: instead we just get jack frost as i previously mentioned
1: (laughs) exactly i feel this isn't a very positive positive section so would you like me to
0: i realized we kind of got sidetracked i have i feel like we've left this positive section unless you've got any more minor details. well i was
1: just going to suggest that i list a few of the other standout moments that i have go on because there are a few so Adam's dog. Not a moment, but what a wonderful addition.
0: The one good casting choice in this episode.
1: Oh, 100%. What a great dog. How cute. You need a dog in Doctor at some point. It's not something that happens a lot, especially since Canine left the series as a regular companion. And yet we have this beautiful, cute, little fluffy thing and it made me feel happy when I wasn't feeling very happy, because I'm not a big fan of this episode. I'd also say that despite the fact that I've said that the floor 500 enigma ultimately disappoints the spectator, when Suki goes up and sees the skeletons, and there's that moment where you don't know the skeleton's there and she screams and there's a bit of a jump scare. Although placed in this episode, it doesn't have much meaning or impact, as a jump scare i think it's pretty effective i was watching it with my family we all jumped i jumped i always forget that it happens it freaks <laughs> me out a bit
0: i do have a big problem with that scene but i'll leave that until we talk about suki
1: hmm interesting i'd also say that probably my favorite scene or sequence is when the Doctor confronts Adam and takes him home. You have the shaky camera on Eccleston as he's waltzing up to Adam, about to cast him out of his life. And then you have the clicking battle, which is very funny. And I love it how Rose is like, boy, stop it, stop it, you're being silly. And then she does it herself. It's hypocritical, yet hilarious. And it almost makes Adam's character worth it. And then you have Adam's poor mum, Sandra. She arrives home, she's very excited. She's, She's saying adorable things, very British things, like, if I'd known you'd be here, I would have got your favorite tea. And she's so excitable. It's so exaggerated, it's very funny, which only makes it worse when she goes, oh, the time passes like that, clicks her fingers, sees her son's brain, and we're left on her disturbed face. And I think it's a great ending to an otherwise patchy episode.
0: I do also really enjoy this scene, especially the doctor confronting Adam, where it's kind of like the close up on his eyes as he's walking. and he's just like, "Don't do it," and then close up on his eyes again, and Adam's like, "Well, actually, it's really your fault, and then it's the doctor. <laughs> he's like,
1: yeah, "Yeah, Adam, what sort of defense is that because Because you moment. were in charge, it, it was your responsibility to stop me getting brain surgery. It's all your fault.
0: Adam, if I ever meet you, I'm going to hurt you." even though you're fictional.
1: I'd like to see that fight. I think you'd win.
0: I'd click and then I'd poke his brain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ow! I mean, I don't know how that feels and hopefully I never will. But I, I think wow. I'd
0: kill him, to be honest.
1: <laughs> That's what the Doctor should have done. He should have just stormed up to him, is oh. going, no, don't do it. Clicked <laughs> his fingers, prodded his brain. Adam falls on the floor. They walk into the TARDIS at the end. I want to see that rewrite.
0: Yeah, good stuff.
1: Shall we go on to the negative part of this podcast? I
0: mean, okay, okay, okay. I suppose I first want to talk about the Kronk Burger. Yum, yum. Second point, I don't have anything to say about the Kronk Burger. I just wanted to say the phrase Kronk Burger.
1: And what was it? Beef slush puppies? Uh, beef
0: slush. Yeah.
1: What sort of future is this? This is something we haven't really touched upon. What do you think of the setting? Are you a fan of it? Or are you not?
0: I don't care. No, it's just... There's no reason why I'm intrigued by anything there. It's when the Doctor goes, oh, this isn't like it should be. I'm like, yeah, it's probably Simon Pegg. You know what I mean? I just <laughs> None of it intrigues me enough to wonder about what's going on in this universe.
1: There's no real scale. There's no real indication of just how much devastation could occur if the Doctor doesn't stop the Jagrafess and the Editor, because they've already been there for so long.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see some of this world, not just the inside of the satellite.
1: I find it interesting that of all the episodes in Series 1 that aren't set on Earth and are more alien-y, great new word I've created, they're all on a satellite or a station or a platform that's observing or orbiting a planet or star so we never actually see an alien planet
0: i think i can tell you why that is budget budget i read um in my research for the trivia that this was supposed to be a bit of a um money saver episode or so you'd call it a bottle episode and that eventually going into these practical and visual effects it ended up going very over budget but at one stage russell t davis also wanted the entire head to open instead of a little square i'm just saying if his entire head opened i would definitely win in a fight
1: oh you would 100 percent. that would also be pretty terrifying I, think. I,
0: I mean it's pretty gross as it is if you actually think about it
1: yeah i'm not see i don't know where i stand on the brain-clicking scenario, because I feel like it almost gives this episode its identity. It's what stuck with me from this episode. It's what I think of when I've reflected on this episode in the past. It's what stuck with me. But at the same time, as you say, it's gross, and just why? Why do we always have to devolve? (laughs) I suppose that's a big philosophical question, really, and something that Russell T. Davis has addressed in his other works as well if you've watched or if you haven't watched years and years then do go and watch it but if you have watched it his recent series about the near future and political and technological advances and just the world in a mess basically that's what he presents and it's probably a really sad and truthful representation of what's to come let's be honest humans are Ab- scum apart from it, it's your
0: head open thing
1: yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen. Well, at least not in our lifetime.
0: <laughs> well, my problem with the head opening thing is basically they all explain that it works by clicking, and then and then she clicks, and I I literally thought, well, obviously it wouldn't work if anyone clicked because that would be just a bit chaotic. But it worked with with anyone click. I thought it would just be Adam's click that activated it, but supposedly mm. anyone can do it, which really surprised me. I wasn't expecting that to happen because it just doesn't make sense obviously it's a good joke and we've both agreed it's a good moment at the end but like a lot of this stuff is such futuristic technology but it's like limited by stuff that limits technology now so you have things like the computer not working and then big on the screen it says floor 16 like that massive unit it looks really old-fashioned and like having to have the surgery and things like that I just think like the doctor actually says, having the thing open on your head just seems so archaic of a way to do things. Like surely it would just shoot it up your nose or whatever. The technology isn't futuristic. It's futuristic with like modern drawbacks.
1: And and that's an issue I have with this episode as well. I'm thinking about like the hand panels in the spike room. They yeah. look naff and almost like play-doh. That's had children's hands pressed into. Yeah, it.
0: it's like what parents have up on their wall of their child, and then yeah, says, paint hands. Five,
1: <laughs> and it's just not cool. I think this is an issue I have. Actually, it's actually the set designs and the and the props. A lot of it. It's just I feel like if this world had been created better, it would have been an all-round more effective episode, and maybe one that we wouldn't be criticizing so harshly and i also i know part of the point is that the Jagra Fest is meant to be stalling humanity's progression but it's still the future for us the very far off future and so i know maybe it's a bit limited by as you said when it was created 2005 not being able to create such a futuristic world because of the limitations of our actual time and our technological abilities but it's not cool and it's not something that entices you it it's all all the sets are a bit dull
0: yeah i also feel like the technology we've got now 15 years since this episode was released in a lot of ways is superior to what they're walking around with just like the portability of phones and things like that it's not like one of them's holding a tablet and can do stuff on it like when they hack the mainframe it's just this big chunky unit that is attached to the satellite could you like that doesn't even seem like something you would have now do you know what i mean like mm, on the yeah, international I space do. station i'm sure it's small and quite sleek maybe portable who knows but it just mm-hmm. seems very clunky a lot of it obviously it's a bit of a bad criticism to say this is a bad prediction of the future but It is, and I think it's quite (laughs) obviously that. It would have been at the time. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't... If you'd thought about it at the time, you'd have gone, yeah, this is very clunky and doesn't really make a lot of sense.
1: I do know what you mean. I'm trying to think of other representations of the future that we've had since 2005 in Doctor Who. And I'm struggling.
0: Even like the Cybermen in the next series, in the parallel universe is a better indication of like an alternative technology future like it works quite well i think and that seems somehow more futuristic than this
1: i would also say even in new earth in series 2 i know we only see a hospital but <laughs> they the the vision works for me it's all very clean they have advanced medicines it's all very white and spacious, and this is more, almost dull and yellowy and but That's kind of red. the point as well, isn't it? I know. It, it's... So it's a real conflict because yeah. that's what they're going for, and yet it's a reason why I don't like this episode. Exactly.
0: I I also think even the future and the end of the world is better than this. Yeah. Even though we've got our problems with the characters, but it is what it is.
1: It is indeed. Have you got any more negative points? The
0: worst moment of this episode is when Adam is strapped to the chair with the laser in him and he's like, ooh, and then just magically the TARDIS key floats out of his pocket. <laughs> but, but you can clearly tell it's literally just someone's hand off screen because you can't see the entire TARDIS key because half of it disappears off the screen. There's obviously someone, someone's hand is off camera just lifting it. It just looks absolutely ridiculous.
1: I also don't understand how the editor has that power.
0: Exactly. He's just like, oh, abracadabra, the TARDIS key is floating.
1: It is a very nap effect and could be done better now. I do think that that's something that limits my enjoyment of some of Series 1's episodes just because it seems slightly, weirdly, even compared to Series 2 in my mind, it seems older and of a different time to the later series
0: partially just plot wise like it doesn't make sense that it's floating out of its pocket mm. is an issue there and also it wouldn't be been that hard you could have got a clear piece of string tied it to the tardis key and have someone a bit higher pulling it so you can actually see the entire tardis key because you can't see all the chain on screen which just makes it like even sillier where if you could see all of it then it would seem ah, huh, that thing's floating but you'd still go why is it floating it doesn't make any sense
1: they should have had sure. you on set to
0: they should do have. it in a more uh, They should have had play. three-year-old me.
1: You would have been very going, good.
0: Hey, that doesn't look very good. You should probably, like, attach some clear string to it or something, mate. Mm. That's what I sound like when I was three.
1: Wow. I want to meet you as a three-year-old. All right, I'm Dean. Hang it up on a better thing. That key thing looks really naff.
0: Naff. I like the word naff.
1: Naff is a great word. I'm really
0: sidetracked. Have you got any more moments to share?
1: Well, I don't want to share too many because this is literally my improvement section.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I thought that. Should we just lay off for now and start talking about some characters?
1: Yes, let's go grill Adam. Let's go.
0: Okay, just as we promised last week, we're going to take a bit of a sidetrack. We're not talking about the character we always talk about first in our character section, who is Doctor Who. Like promised, we're going to talk about... uh... (laughs) A shorter section we're adding for this week only is why Adam is a terrible character or whatever I said last week with other characters mentioned. So let's get started on this idiot. Now the main problem with Adam okay, if if you don't mind me starting. Is Adam. Is is sure. Is that he is supposed to be the smartest guy in the world and he is just the biggest idiot ever. Just the bit that annoys me is um, we didn't really talk about it much, is the surgery and this weird sexual tension he has with the nurse.
1: <laughs> is that what we're calling it, sexual tension?
0: It's like, so he's talking to the nurse and the nurse is like, obviously it's going to cost money. And then he stands up and he goes, oh, obviously I don't have money to pay you with. And then he walks away and he kind of looks back and he goes, wait a minute, the doctor gave me this and told me it's money. Would this work as money? <laughs> and and then she goes, Yes, it would work as money. And then later on, he's like, obviously, I can't afford this. He's like, well, are you stupid or something? You've got unlimited money. Just this whole thing with the nurse doesn't make any sense because she's just so naive. And he's like, I'm from the University of um, uh, uh, Mars.
1: That is a real issue I have with Adam because I feel that it's all in the execution again. Russell T. Davis, he wrote a character. Okay, admittedly, he wrote those lines wherein Adam seems entirely stupid. But he also wrote sort of the basis of a character, almost like Victor Frankenstein, if I rely on my English literature roots, a sort of power-driven, knowledge-acquiring man who wants to know more, who wants to be elevated almost into an alignment with the superiority and knowledge of God's. And that could have been really effective, especially with the Doctor completely cutting him off in his tracks. He's on his path to potential greatness as he sees it, and the Doctor immediately stops him and says, you're going to have to have a very quiet, uninspiring life. And that could have been so good, but it's completely ruined, ruined by Adam's lack of genius. We're told he's a genius in Dalek, and yet he doesn't contribute anything important to saving the world in that episode and similarly here he is the problem and i know you could say that's because of the power he wants to acquire but as you've said that the entire sequence with the nurse emphasizes his lack of common sense
0: common sense okay you are right it is all in the execution and we should execute adam
1: by poking his brain? By
0: <laughs> poking his brain very aggressively.
1: Do you think if you just kept clicking it over and over and over again that eventually his brain would go into overload and he'd like? Die? Well, to be honest,
0: the whole thing doesn't make sense.
1: This is Doctor Who.
0: <laughs> I think in the opening there's going to be some kind of membrane because I'm sure there would be damage if just like air or wind touched your brain. I'm sure that's not going to have any good effect. I mean, I'm, I don't know how the brain works, but that sounds bad to me. Or like he's in the shower and he clicks and his skull just fills with water. Surely
1: Oh no, no <laughs> This is getting a this little is too not grotesque. Okay.
0: Anyway. What was I saying? Adam sucks. And that is because we never get any foreshadowing for his villainous turn. I mean, we do. I should have mentioned this in stand-up moments. Really crap moment where Rose gives him his phone and Rose walks off and then he stands up and looks at his phone. And then just the music kind of goes, as if like a jump scare is about to happen.
1: Can you do that again just for fun? And now this time I'd like our listeners to do it along with Dean. Go. My hope is that there's someone listening to this, say, on a run or something, and they've just gone, Whoa! and everyone near them has just looked around like, what the hell?
0: Someone's on a train.
1: <laughs> yeah, someone on a train. People move to the next carriage <laughs> out of fear.
0: Anyway, Adam sucks. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: You were in the middle of the point. No,
0: my point was that he just doesn't show any, um, like, signs of wanting all this information first he kind of just goes and he's like oh this is cool a little scary though and then suddenly he's like but I want all the information it would be like if in the end of the world Rose is like hey yeah this is all pretty scary and I hate this and she sits down in the room for a while like kind of freaking out then after a while she stands up she goes and starts stealing all the artifacts of Cassandra and hiding them and then just continuing with the adventure
1: I want to see that version of the end of the world
0: it just doesn't work
1: It really doesn't. And I'd also say that if you're a genius, you should know everything in the first place. (laughs) And the whole idea is that he wants to know more. (laughs) And it's just very sad and confusing. And another thing that's confusing is how long is in between Dalek and the long game? Because they're not in the same clothes. Are they not? No.
0: That's very interesting. Where, where did Adam get his clothes from? Because we know Rose, the first time they went on the TARDIS and didn't have anything to change into because the second time around she had to bring clothes with her and she was in the same mm. outfit for the first three episodes apart from the dress you know, and the unquiet dead. So is he wearing the doctor's clothes?
1: That would be hilarious and I wish that was a deleted scene that we could see where Adam just awkwardly goes into the TARDIS wardrobe and is like, I'm going to take these jeans.
0: It's a bit of a stupid point I just made. They're in a machine that can go anywhere at any time. I'm sure he could have gone to a shop.
1: That is true. I'm pretty sure I'm right because I think in this episode he's got a white and red t-shirt or something and then he's in a shirt in the last one. And so, through wondering and speculating how long is past in between and not knowing and never knowing how much time is in between, we're led into this sort of confusing area where we have no clue how much time Adam has had to experience and learn things from the Doctor's world. The introduction where Rose tells him all about it and he seems completely bewildered by it all would suggest that it's his first adventure. But then a line that I really hate, and this was in my improvements, but I'll put it now. When the Doctor says, oh, you just need to have a bit of food or whatever, Adam says, I'm just a bit time sick. What are you talking about, Adam? You don't know anything about time travel. How long have you been with it? Have you heard the phrase time sick ever before in your little tiny uninspiring underground life? No, you haven't. Stop talking like you know things. Is time sick even a thing? We've never had any of the other companions suffer from it. Adam's just inferior in every way.
0: Adam should find a bridge and not launch himself off it because I don't want to advocate suicide, but he should wait on this bridge. Tell me what it bridges he's on and then I'll come and murder him.
1: So you're advocating murder instead?
0: No, I'm advocating. I'm allowed to murder people, just no one listening is. Um, I did do a quick Google search and Adam is wearing something different in I Dalek. I yeah. I can't remember what Rose is wearing in the long game, but in Dalek she's wearing a white um, vest. The Americans would call it a tank top. Should we move on to the next character?
1: If you introduce him as Doctor Who, then I am going to come and push you off the bridge where Adam is.
0: Oh, no. I, I won't. Okay, don't worry. The next character we're going to talk about is Doctor
1: Who. What, what, what an imbecile I have to do this podcast with. His name is The Doctor.
0: You have to do this podcast with the doctor.
1: No, no, I would never call the doctor an imbecile.
0: I do enjoy him in this episode. He's the best part of this episode. If you don't notice, every single one of my standout moments that were good—I believe I might just be misremembering him—were because of him. Because he was just so jolly the entire time when he was supposed to be, and then he showed good anger and at. The editor and at Adam and they both work so well and I don't think there are many flaws with his performance in this.
1: I can only reiterate what you have said. I particularly love how sarcastic he is in this episode. I've already spoken about the scene where they hack into the mainframe. He's very punchy almost with his wit in this episode and I love his turn on Adam at the end when you realise that if Rose ever exploits the opportunity that he has given her to see all these wonderful places, then he can be as brutal as that to her. He is not taking any silliness from anyone, and Adam is out the door straight away. And I love how we have that balance of sarcasm, stupid apes. It's sort of reminiscent of Rose, which works, because this episode was originally meant to be, as I've already said, reminiscent of Rose in the way that it was going to be from Adam's point of view. And so his interactions with other characters resembled that sort of, oh, why do I have to save you, you stupid apes? Why don't you understand anything? You're all very stupid. And I love that energy that he brings to the role, that sort of intolerance, and yet, at the same time, acceptance to completely contrasting traits that work very well to create Eccleston's Doctor.
0: I feel like you like him so much because he's actually justified in his anger this time around, where you seem to find issue with that in the past. I'm just taking, I'm assuming stuff for you here. but
1: No, that's very true. Say in The Unquiet Dead, his anger towards Rose, well, not anger, but his harshness towards her when she believes that they shouldn't let the gelf take bodies of deceased humans for their own flesh. And he's completely dismissive of her views and acts very superior and that feels misplaced because we're meant to align with rose and therefore it almost seems like an attack on us as human spectators as ape spectators whereas here as you said it's completely justified i want adam to be completely humiliated and it's the only real part of the story that I enjoy. Not because of the concept, but because of the execution as I keep going on about. I just love that moment when he waltzes mm. up to Adam. Yeah. Just He doesn't even say anything. He just chucks him in the TARDIS. <laughs> it's
0: good stuff. First, I'd say I do disagree with you and your point on the Unquiet Dead. But we talked about it in that episode. So if listeners are interested, give that a listen if you haven't already. But you're right about everything you said after that pretty much I would Thank you. <laughs> like to reiterate. And I also want to make the joke spect apers. Thank you very much.
1: to apers. Yeah, because we're ape spectators. Not that we spectate monkeys.
0: I'm gonna This is just, Doctor Who. Yeah. The next character we're going to talk about is the Rose.
1: oh who's she?
0: She's alright in this episode.
1: That was my question but yes she is all right in this episode isn't she she's just kind of there
0: she's fine she does well with the stuff with uh, some of the stuff with adam but then she gives adam too many second chances stop forgiving him he's a to say something rude he's just a big poo bum especially at the end when she's like "Doctor, leave him alone it's not his fault when the doctor's marching towards him rose shut up you should be annoyed and you should just just everyone shut up okay Every, sh- Thank you. Can I speak? Yes.
1: Thank you very much for the permission. I would actually disagree with what you just said about how Rose shouldn't be saying it's not Adam's fault at the end, because I feel like in her saying that and trying to stop and prevent the doctor from having a go at Adam and rejecting him and sending him back home, without that you wouldn't have as much of a indication that there's going to be a conflict and so it builds it up a bit more and creates this big confrontation
0: do you know they should have done instead um they should have got the nurse there and the nurse goes to the doctor doctor don't do it don't do it it's not his fault i love him
1: i have an issue with the nurse
0: oh the nurse is the worst it's just the weird I, I don't understand what's going on. Just very
1: sinister, things. without yeah, like, needing to be.
0: Yeah. Mm, don't want to talk about that anymore. I don't have much to say about Rose. I think we've touched on it all.
1: Yeah, what do you make of the editor?
0: I've, we've talked about this already. Just nothing. Um, Not Simon Pegg's fault. Just doesn't get a lot to do, and he's there. I find the concept interesting of him. He's he's a representative for a bunch of banks.
1: I find that underwhelming.
0: But it, I like the the concept of this, because it makes so much sense, and it's like, oh, I don't really care what's going on. I just work for these banks. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That's cool.
1: I suppose it does. I just don't feel like we feel particularly threatened by a half-sinister, half-funny... Jack Frost, banker, who's not actually yeah, he's not that loyal to the Jaggafest, and he's just a puppet. And I feel like we see better puppets, if that makes sense, later in Doctor Who,
0: like at the Frog. Wait, no, he's not in Doctor
1: Who. He's not. He's not a puppet. He's real. What are you talking about?
0: Oh. Puppets can be real too. Anyway,
1: what do you make of the Jaggerfest? the yeah, mighty geographers nothing I may
0: say. nothing but i have made an interesting discovery that i would like to share with you
1: oh please do
0: every doctor who villain so far this series has died by exploding let me let me walk you through the season season one episode one nesting consciousness throw in some anti-plastic explodes season one episode two get Cassandra, she's on the flight deck, not getting moisture, enough moisture, explodes. Episode three, there isn't an explosion because it's part of the two-parter, but two explosions in episode four, World War Three, where number one, they throw vinegar, the Slovene, and he explodes all over Mickey's gaff, and later on, they shoot a missile at number 10 Downing Street, exploding all of the Slovene apart from one. Now we have Dalek in Dalek, the Dalek self-destructs, explosion. And now in the long game, we have the Jagrafess on the ceiling, gets all frozen up and then explodes. Boom.
1: What a running theme. Thank you for that. What do you make of that decision to have so many villains explode? Is it repetitive and boring? Do you think it's a good way for a villain to go? How do you think it's executed in this particular episode?
0: I think it's a bit too I don't when you say what do you think of the decision I don't think it's a conscious decision for them to follow through this theme I just think a lot of the time it's the easy way out in a lot of these episodes especially this one it makes sense in episodes like Dalek and World War Three but in this episode it just seems very much like the easy way out for me and not to the same extent but similarly in rose as well just the the easy way out for these for to just clean up the ending of the episode nicely
1: Hmm. yeah i i, I agree i think the as you said take for example world war three you have this big decision for the only way out is to send the missiles towards downing street and you have mickey's side of things i know i shouldn't mention the m-word in your presence but it's a big part of the episode deciding what to do how to defeat it it makes sense and it's very effective when it happens whereas here it's literally oh what's happening oh there's a tardis key oh and there's a lump on the ceiling and there's just so much going on that then almost the entire resolution kathika's big sort of evolution into a heroic character, which I don't feel really impacts me because there's no indication that she's going to be that character later on. It's not like she has low self-esteem or is just anxious. She's just a generally moany character who doesn't want to get into trouble. And then it's not even like she changes because it's not like she's going to get in trouble from the Jagrafest to blowing him up. It's (laughs) just an ineffective character transition or arc.
0: Do you know what it is? It's a whole lot of nothing. Exactly. If you ask me my opinion on almost anything in this episode, it would just be nothing because nothing interesting happens. Just nothing. Everything happens with nothing coming before it. And it's just a bunch of scenes where nothing happens. It's Just a whole load of nothing.
1: I'm getting that. Yeah. Wow, the, the Venom.
0: Go on, ask me a question about this episode. Ask me what my opinion about something is.
1: So, finally, Kathaka and Suki. What do you think about Nothing. Vem?
0: On Kathaka, I have literally nothing to say. Mm. She's a character in this episode. I do have a little bit to complain about Suki, but Kathaka, nothing.
1: What do you want to complain about Suki?
0: It's the jump scare bit, as I did foreshadow I would come back to this later on. So when she goes upstairs, and she's all scared, and she's walking around. She's like, Oh, what's going on? And she jumps at the dead body, and she seems pretty like squeamish. And then she walks in, and then Simon Pegg's like, you're an anarchist. And she's like, yeah, I am, and I'm not scared of anything. I'm going to shoot you in the head. just didn't make sense when you think about it.
1: I have a lot to say about this, but it's actually my improvement, so I'm going to yeah, save for idea. that.
0: Save it. Kafka, nothing. Do you have anything to say about Kafka?
1: not really
0: no you don't you've got nothing to say because nobody cares go on
1: okay well i pretty much do honestly have nothing to say except that she as i was just saying her transition into the heroic character that gets the doctrine rose out of a doomed situation is not very exciting or inspiring we don't have that much of an emotional attachment to her throughout the rest of the episode to care. Do
0: you know what the emotional attachment I have to her is? What? Nothing.
1: I should have seen that coming. I didn't. i walked walk straight into it. I own that one. Shall we, since it's basically a load of nothing and lumps on the ceilings and Adam shenanigans, should we finally, since we've pretty much talked about it all, go on to the most pretentious section of yeah, the podcast.
0: Yeah, because so far we've talked about nothing and this whole thing has been an exercise in futility. Okay, um, I need to just sit out for a bit because I've gotten genuinely annoyed about the quality of this episode. Like I'm genuinely quite aggravated right now. So I'm going to hand it over to and to be fair this works out quite well because she does insist on this section every week
1: that's not true
0: i've had enough of it by now it's where she who believes she's a million times better than russell t davis no um wants to tell us how she would improve this episode but she doesn't even tell us how to she would improve it she just tells us what's wrong with it and why russell t davis should rethink his life decisions take it away while i sit out for a minute
1: He really sets me up as a horrible person. but In fact, I really want to leap to Russell T. Davis's defence because I feel like Dean has been a bit too harsh and it's not one of my favourite episodes and probably my least favourite Russell T. Davis episode. But Dean is just a bit rude, but...
0: You've got no defences for this episode.
1: (laughs) That is the issue, however. I am forced by Dean every week to do this improvement section and therefore can only give my criticisms now. So I'm sorry, Russell. I really am. So sorry. But my first thing, I've got quite a few lines of dialogue that jar with me because they seem to create this big inconsistency with characters. And so the first one is that when Adam faints towards the beginning of the episode, the doctor says to Rose, he's your boyfriend. Really? How much time is in between Dalek and the long game? All that happened in Dalek was that they flirted a bit, which we 've already established is incredibly false, and then he leaves her for dead. Adam leaves Rose for dead, and he 's not even that upset about it, whereas the doctor's mourning but adam isn't and then literally at the end, the only indication of any relationship ever blossoming between the two is suggested when the doctor says oh he 's a bit he 's a bit cute isn't he Rose?" which if anything suggests that the Doctor finds him hot, not the other way around. So I think that that dialogue is misleading and definitely a leap. And as I've already said a million times probably, I dislike how in this series Rose just jumps from one male companion to the next.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's a big thing we've missed out. We should have mentioned it in the Adam problem. The problem with Adam is that he doesn't need to be in this episode because Rose ain't no Nino man to make her relevant to the plot. She can be independent, but apparently she can't, because in the next episode, she's with her dad. Fair enough, that one's fine. The Next, with Captain Jack. Obviously, I love Captain Jack, but he ain't needed. We don't need him.
1: Well, not in terms of for a partner of Rose, we don't. As a character, I feel we do. He's a great character.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also, I've just got to say, what annoys me more... About the line you just said, is the line that comes afterwards when Rose Not goes. Not
1: anymore.
0: What does that mean? I, what does that actually mean? I, I don't. Do you, do you get what it means? Because honestly, I have no idea what is meant by this line. Is she like, well, I don't date anyone that faints. I'm having none of him.
1: <laughs> I've always assumed that it's just a humorous dig at Adam for being a bit of a wuss and how she's a bit embarrassed by him. But. Yeah, that dialogue just doesn't work for me. It's it's a leap. And we also forget that despite the fact she's travelling with the Doctor, Rose hasn't split up with Mickey. And yeah. therefore it's almost immoral of Rose.
0: Oh, we'll get um, to that in a few weeks.
1: <laughs> yes, we will. We will. And I don't like that because Rose is a great, strong character, especially in Series 2. But... Adam is one of the factors that makes her seem like a weaker and crueler character, especially towards Mickey, who's so loyal. Well, except for when he, he's with some other woman. But that's beside the point. Moving on. The market opening, I feel, is too chaotic, and its music, although I love Murray Gold, its music is weirdly childish. It Would you mirrors-
0: like a Sorry, I do need to have i I'm going to have a sit-out for a minute.
1: Yeah, you really I have need been to.
0: saying this. You just talk, and I'm going to listen.
1: The music mirrors that of the end of the world. Yeah, you're right. The
0: music is really just childish, and it's kind of like it really. Okay, I'm actually I'm gonna sit out now. Okay, bye.
1: Thank you. Music mirrors that of the end of the world. It's very unhoo in my mind, especially when you hear such beautiful music, such as Rose's theme and the Doctor's theme, and I am the Doctor and Doomsday. Such beautiful music which so totally fits the tone and in a way creates the tone of scenes in episodes we see later but here it seems misplaced it creates a weird tone for the market i don't really like the market set either and it unravels so quickly i don't know what they're going for are they aiming for it to seem charming and authentic i don't understand it just i don't like the market set basically and the music going with it seems too much like it gives me munchkin vibes from the end of the world to be honest
0: you're right it it just i don't get why suddenly the room is empty and then it suddenly feels it just didn't make any sense
1: Hmm. we've already spoken about this whilst it's meant to be set many many years in the future some of the sets seem very Old fashioned, very 2005, and that's an issue I have, especially with, say, the hand panels that I've already used as an example previously. The Jagrafest's voice is like an animal and it's just growling, and it doesn't fit the mighty Jaggerfest status that it's given. And it also doesn't look powerful and scary. I was watching a Doctor Who Confidential the other day and I saw the original sketches for the Jaggerfest, and it looked so much more terrifying than what we eventually have in CGI. I think it's a real letdown because if it'd been more terrifying, then you would actually feel like the characters you love are in danger and you'd actually maybe feel a bit of tension, which is lacking in this episode, admittedly. Another line that I have an issue with, as I've already said, many issues with Adam in general. But I cannot Adam stand says, that
0: man. He is a big fat poo and he has priorities because he's not the smartest man ever and Rose doesn't need him. Just get over him, Rose. You're such a fool, Adam, you selfish bastard.
1: Wow. Okay, so Adam says, sorry to bring him up again, just give you PTSD, but Adam says it's going to take a better man to get between you two when talking to Rose about her relationship with the Doctor. And I don't understand what they were going for with this scene either. I almost feel like we're expected to sympathise with Adam, like he's been chasing after Rose for many years, he, he's loved her for an eternity, only to discover that He will never be the man that she wants to be with, and the Doctor is the better man of the two. But literally, they've known each other for mere seconds, as far as I'm concerned, and so there's no real sadness in a moment that seems to be demanding sympathy from us. Another issue I have is with Suki. As I've said, this is something I wanted to go into more depth about. She would have made a great stiff, a great spot the stiff moment of her going up to floor five hundred. Very innocent, so surprised that she's been given this reward of going up to the place where the the walls are made of gold. And Steen said you can't actually sell it, so it's a bit it doesn't pointless. Doesn't make sense because you
0: can't sell the gold.
1: Yeah, exactly. But that's ruined a respect by her weird transformation into this rebel who knows that something's going on on the station and she's going to stop it and it just seems unbelievable because it's such a contrast to the character before and maybe that's the intention that she's so magnificently hidden her true identity as a very clever rebel but I feel we would have cared more if she had just died as the character we introduced her as. And also as a rebel, she's kind of unnecessary because we already know from all the little glimpses we've had at Floor 500 so far, we already know that something dodgy is going on. So we don't really learn anything extra from her exposing the editor in that scene. And so I just don't like it because I really like the sort of bumbly, cute, ditzy, suki that we have and i also don't get why her voice suddenly goes so low
0: i'm a freedom fighter exactly i'm here to stop you
1: she's just like yes people recognize me if i use my really low voice and so i'm gonna speak like this and be like oh i don't know what's going on i'm I'm suki yeah and that was a really bad impression i'm sorry no one needs to be reminded of my poor accents as we all heard in dalek but it's just a waste of a character in my opinion the rebel twist is unnecessary. Another improvement, the nurse is way too sinister. Why is she like that? Just be an average nurse. We don't expect anything more complex from that character They're meant to be two-dimensional. Why is she so scary?
0: She is a bit of a weird choice to put in the middle of this episode.
1: It is. It, I mean, obviously we need to have that moment where Adam has the brain surgery, but they didn't need to make such a fuss of the nurse character you could
0: literally just have like a like a photo booth that does it though probably like you don't need this whole five minute scene of him talking about it making him look like an idiot it's just the worst bit of the episode him going wait could i pay with this
1: i would agree so another thing there's an inconsistency with the doctor and Rose and, and their dynamic right towards the end of this episode and I don't understand why. It's completely unnecessary. So, they get into the lift. Kathakas decided not to join them. Adam's off getting brain holes and stuff and the doctor turns to Rose and says, looks like it's just your knee. Good. And she says, good. And they hold hands and it's all lovely. And then literally the next time we see them, they step out of the lift. The doctor looks around, realises there's ice and goes, you should go back downstairs just like no chance and he looks really worried
0: he's like the walls aren't made of gold which kind of makes sense because it's not like you could sell the gold so you should probably go downstairs i just like to say you told me this you mentioned this to me in a previous conversation we've had about this episode months ago and it's really stuck with me and i cannot stop thinking about it during the bit when i was watching this episode because i never noticed it before and it really annoyed me
1: it just makes no sense Was there a scene in the middle that was cut out? I can't imagine what scene it would be, so it's unlikely. It's just a random inconsistency that doesn't deserve to be there.
0: Rose farted in the elevator.
1: Yeah, she she just let off a fume and the doctor was like, go back downstairs, you (laughs) smelly pig. My final two improvements we've already spoken about The TARDIS key hovering looks naff, and how can the editor do that? It's illogical and makes no sense within the story itself. And finally, the resolution is rather abrupt and also unclear. It's very quickly reached as a conclusion, and as a consequence, it seems quite underwhelming. I don't know what I would have in its place. This is an issue with the fact that it's called improvements. As we've spoken about many times, it's just me pointing out flaws in an episode but
0: but the vague ending sets up the finale
1: yeah it's not the fact that it's vague it's the fact that we don't really get any indication of kathaka suddenly being someone who's going to save the day and i always i never remember how it's actually resolved how kathaka sitting in the spike room leads to the jagra Fest being blown up it may just be it's one that hasn't left as much of an imprint on me and therefore i easily forget it but i don't feel like the resolution really sticks with you because it's over so quickly yeah i feel it just needs to be made a bit more obvious but yeah that's the end of my improvements for this week i'm sorry russell i do love you and admire you a lot she doesn't i do
0: next section. Okay, every week I explain the rating system, because every week might be someone's first week, but I'm getting kind of fed up of doing this, I so kind of just, I hope it's clear. We rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 13, 1 being the worst and 13 being the best. We have chosen this number because there are 13 doctors, but that is no way indicative that the first Doctor is the worst and the 13th the doctor's the best, or vice versa. It's just an arbitrary thing we've decided. Also, the one decimal mark you can give this episode is an 8.5, aka a war doctor. No other... Decimal places can be accepted. I have rated this episode a 3 out of 13 because it is utter crap.
1: I am so shocked. I didn't think we'd get that low for a Russell T Davis series. Wow. Why have you deducted points, or is it just your general hatred of this episode? I will.
0: I mean, I'm not going to name ten things I don't like about this episode, so I will add points. I like the Doctor's an- anger at the end, I like the introduction, and I'll throw another point in for Simon Peck. Even though he's not very good in this episode.
1: <laughs> that is true. I've been more generous, mostly because of my loyalty to the man, the myth, the legend, Russell T Davis. I've given it five out of 13 and my deducted points for the Jaggerfest being an ineffective character and its naff design. The bland set designs such as the market, the spike room and the editor's office. Adam's prominence in this episode and just Adam in general. Dialogue and character inconsistencies. Suki's duplicitous nature. A lack of pace and tension. The editor's odd mixture of comedy and threat. Rushed, unclear and underwhelming resolution.
0: Very nice, very nice. I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode. So please join us next week when we're talking about, I think factually a much better episode, Father's Day, one of the, one of the stronger episodes of the season. So we'll see mm. you then.
1: Yes. And please do follow us. We have Instagram, so go follow us at, at Pod. Also email us if you have any points of discussion that you want us to raise in a future podcast, or if you want to ask us any questions about what we've spoken about today. Yeah. So our email is chattywattypod at gmail.com. And also, obviously, we have Anchor FM. So please do go and listen to us and follow us at chattywatty.
0: Yeah. um, Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.
1: Bye. Thank you.